Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of Guest Alarmist, where I step aside and let a guest walk us through a personal tragedy, and together the Alarmist crew figures out who's to blame. This month, Leah Poliot discusses the sisterhood of the traveling disaster. But I, but I do want to say it's like what always happens, too, is that like you have these like, you know, destinations you want to go to. But then something always happens along the way. There's always magic involved. Yeah, it's the magic. The, what's such the bummer is that Leah and Sarah didn't get to kind of find those pockets of magic in their. Well, in their did travels. you? We don't know. Was there a magical moment, even though all this chaos was going on that you guys think about, like with fond memories? It, there was some ravioli that we had when we first got into France. Uh, That's great. And <laughs> that is still magical in my heart. Great. It was the only place open for, uh, before dinner. We got in, it was like three or four at a weird time. Nobody was at this restaurant best ravioli I've ever had in my entire oh, life. Oh, that's that's I'm great. so happy Just for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now, on to our episode. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert, 
Thomas Ackerman. Thomas is a professor in the Department of Film at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. He was also the director of photography on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, among many other classics, including Beetlejuice, Jumanji, Dennis the Menace. Let's hear what he has to say about the film. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Rebecca. Nice to be talking to you. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on the show. I mean, it's not often that we get to talk to someone who has been directly involved in the making of the movie that we're discussing. So can you tell us about your experience making the film? How did you get involved? Well, uh, like most things uh, that happen in the movie business, uh, what you do is often, it's usually an, uh, an offshoot of what you've done before. Your, your agent will have uh, captured a certain kind of momentum or you'll have a personal relationship with the filmmaker. Uh, and so uh, in, in this case, I would say all those were responsible for my uh, eventually doing Christmas Vacation. I should point out, actually, yeah. in, the, in that respect, I had already done uh, one movie for John Hughes, uh, Dennis the Menace, which had been done uh, one year before, maybe two years before, and uh, John is a very uh, loyal person, and he's also an opinionated filmmaker, uh, so that when he feels like he's in the groove uh, with a particular person, be it an actor or a director or a cinematographer, uh, he seemed to like to um, uh, continue and exploit that. <laughs> Well, that, I mean, wonderful. Uh, Dennis the Menace, another classic. Um, did you have a specific approach for this film? Uh, I know it's a comedy, but um, can you talk to us about the, the visual language of Christmas Vacation? Well, first of all, uh, it was clear from my first reading of the screenplay uh, and chatting with John, it, it was clear that just as Dennis the Menace had been an iconic capsule, time capsule, where where all of our childhoods could be summarized in in one hour and a half period, the same essentially of 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 Christmas Vacation. Uh, who among us has no recollection of our Christmas experience through the years, and whose dad did not try to outdo the neighbors? maybe once before they learned a lesson, outdo the neighbors in a front yard display uh, or the tree decor. And, and, you know, and then of course, probably the most quintessential part of that drama is when you have guests, uh, whether they are the neighbors across the street that you don't know too well, but now they're visiting and their um, deportment shall we say, is less than satisfactory after the fifth uh, uh, drink. But, uh, or, you know, the, the, the arrival of relatives that you have not seen for a very long time. Uh, and their kids who perhaps you've never met. So all this is kind of a, a recipe, it seems to me, for uh, things to mess up and go wrong. And that, that's what John was writing about. That's, that's what he created 
in in the film Christmas Vacation. And that's definitely what you captured. That's absolutely what we saw, the mayhem of the the meeting of the of the groups of the different um of the different people. Um we need to talk about Clark. Why is he so obsessed with having the best Christmas this year? I, I think that you could, if you wanted to really do a little uh, armchair psychoanalysis, you could say that he's under pressure at work. He's terribly concerned about whether he's going to get the annual bonus, which he has already spent in the form of a down payment on the swimming pool in the backyard. And in general, things really aren't going that well for him. And so um, the pressure is on. And I think that he is probably, to a certain extent, when he's out on the trek to obtain the family tree, no doubt the biggest ever, and uh, with with dreams of glory, uh, he's doing that, I think, because he's got to have at least one one win. He's got to have one victory. Uh, to 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 make this uh, holiday go right for him, and and the movie starts with a, a road rage incident as the family drives to get their Christmas tree, which really encapsulates the the state of mind that he's in. Um, in our in our episode, we we discussed how uh, how telling this moment is, and how it seems like Clark has this inner rage that he's trying to tamp down, and 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 focus on on Christmas. Um, are, are we reading too far into this, or does Clark have some things that he has to work through? The amazing thing that John Hughes achieved in the script and that uh, Chevy made work with his performance was the fact that, uh, and we see it all the time in in the, in the newspaper, media, uh, online, people behaving very badly to the point where you say, ooh, he... She said that in, in 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 a McDonald's. I mean, you know, it's just like you, you 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 can't countenance it, and you you really can't understand it. But then, if you think a little more, um, if you become a little more circumspect, you might remember something that you said or did in public that was not the way you would want it to have been done. And I think for for Clark, that's a a road rage uh, incident that in a John Hughes comedy will not get anybody killed. There are any number of beats in that scene, A, uh, taunting <laughs> rednecks in a, in a truck. This is not a good idea. None of us want to uh, fall prey to uh, what happens next. Then a very, very uh, poor driving decision, such the car gets stuck under a logging truck. Uh, only to then <laughs> swerve off the road, bash through a gigantic pile of newly plowed snow, and come to rest. All in a day's work for the Griswold family. <laughs> Don't want that to happen in real life. In fact, I think it could happen in real life. That's that's the that's how close to the edge John Hughes could play things. And, and I think if you look at, and he did so many wildly successful films, not only at the box office, but as chronicle of uh, the American way of life, how people behave, uh, 
and and what's important to them. And ultimately, when Clark gets uh, foolishly locked in the attic uh, and is freezing up there trying to figure out how to rejoin the family who've gone off shopping, when he when he threads up that uh, that old home movie of of the family in years past, and he's sitting there huddled up in his grandma's mixed stole, whatever. I don't know what the source of the uh, the clothing item was, but the point is, he that that's what he wanted. He he wanted a family Christmas, and by golly, he was going to have one, or know the reason why. Of course, there's that great moment in the film where we, we've been living the dream and uh, this is before the in-laws arrive and then you hear the doorbell really ringing normally and then becoming more and more distorted and scary until finally the front door opens and there they are the family the in-laws <laughs> yes it's it's such a great visual um and and you you can tell that inside Clark is just so nervous about um, about Christmas going well and also this Christmas bonus that he seems obsessed with. And in watching the film thirty years later, we we were we were very struck by how large this expectation for this bonus was. <laughs> um, it, you know, a bonus that's enough to build a pool. Uh, was this kind of Christmas bonus a common 80s trope or, or or did this say something about the economy at the time? Well, I, I think what it says is that, and I remember this uh, as a kid, um, that people tended to work uh, for long periods of time. Once they got established at a, at a firm, um, they tended to well, as of that very moment, they had achieved a big part of the American dream. A good job, nice house in the suburbs, family, and uh, you might even have a country club membership thrown in somewhere. So the, I think that once they found that niche, they tended not to shop around for uh, a better deal. There was no OBO going on it was uh mm. you got a good deal here hold on to it and so i think people would be more prone to put up with a cranky boss uh they would be more wrapped up in that whole scene so i think that part of of uh, the john hughes rendering of america is actually fair and and fairly accurate although yeah. to to extract uh, the, the maximum number of laughs uh, it becomes very ironic and, uh, and you know, it becomes funny, laughable. Yes, I, that's fascinating. I hadn't thought about how our idea of job stability has changed as a society or our idea of, of uh, you know, how, how, how we look at, at, um, at job security. That has totally shifted. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. 
because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. Now, Cousin Eddie is is clearly Clark's least favorite of the guests. But in the end, he kidnaps the boss, which leads to Clark getting his bonus. Uh, why, why do you think that Cousin Eddie had the guts to do what Clark never could? Well, I think two things. Number one, he felt there was a a wrong, something very wrong, that he could fix. He would punish the uh, individual who was uh, screwing up the family Christmas. Uh, however, he was also just dumb enough to make a very ill-advised move <laughs> that in the non-John Hughes world would have landed him in uh, in jail. So, you know, it's kind of the the two sides of, I mean, Cousin Eddie, that, that's a character that uh, so many people, when the conversation shifts to Christmas vacation, so many people that I have talked to over the years, they all love Cousin Eddie. I don't know if it's because everyone has a dysfunctional but lovable relative or neighbor, but it really does, uh, seems to to resonate with them. Yes, uh, cousin Eddie stresses me out, but for sure, <laughs> it's a it's a memorable character. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, ha- ha- speaking of, ha- how much of the holiday stress that Clark faces in the movie is due to his family visiting? You mentioned this up top a little bit. Um, or, do you, or do you feel it's the family or do you think it's more self-inflicted? Well, I would say a, a, a bit of both. Um, the self-inflicted part comes from high expectations, unrealistically high expectations. Obviously, an overbearing mother-in-law is not news to somebody who's been married for a number of years. How how could that be a surprise? (laughs) The uh, relatively mm, marginal IQ of of cousin Eddie, if if you ever even uh, exchanged a postcard with the guy or you know, you would have a sense over the years that he's not really dealing with a full deck. He, he's not the brightest bulb in the flashlight. And uh, so that aspect was highly manipulated. That being said, there are things, that, as you know, there are things that happen when you get a lot of friends and or family packed into a a small group and in essence, they they are required to have fun. You know, Clark has outdone himself, the house, they're putting out a big spread, uh, del- a delightful um, holiday meal, which turns out to be an overcooked turkey. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but the uh, the intent was very, very good. Now we've all been there. So the question is how... How does one cope with it? They kind of hold it together until the squirrel incident comes to pass. And and now you kind of have uh, panic and uh, and 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 over overpopulated living rooms and and uh, and then that that devolves into really slapstick comedy. Uh, Dogs jumping onto tables, uh, all the dinner guests huddling in a corner, having run up and down the stairs uh, frantically. It's, um, I don't know how, how I would say it. It's a highly manipulated scene, uh, but it's got a lot of elements of truth that all of us can identify with. And I believe that is what... Uh, is the underpinning of a lot of John's work. He really nailed it. He really understood the Midwestern uh, spirit. He knew how people worked. He knew how families uh, worked. The squirrel incident, I can't believe we didn't speak about that on our episode as and put that up on the board. So you're, you're already... We're already learning so much, Tom. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, much of the uh, movie is is really action-packed, like you said. And and the neighbors, Todd and Margo, they really bear the brunt of the disaster. Um, and w- what do they represent for moviegoers at the time? W- were they just stand-ins for wealthy snobs? Or, or was it some kind of comment on the alternative to the typical nuclear family. Well, it's good that you select Todd and Margot, because at at the time, uh, it was 
they they personified a kind of uber hip uh, person who, uh, you know, they're the significantly undecorated, uh, very Spartan, yet, as we know, very expensive interior of their house. Uh, the There was a, a you know, kind of a, a smug self-assurance to them that I, I, I certainly could understand at the time because that was happening. Uh, people, uh, nouveau riche uh, people uh, had a smug self-assurance that they they imagined that they could buy uh, with their paychecks or their inheritance or whatever. But one of the greatest scenes is when there's the first uh, encounter with Todd and Margot and that shot of Chevy, the, the garage door rises and out he comes with the the chainsaw with a mask. It was kind of like a Freddy, a Freddy Krueger moment. Yes. Right there on the Warner back lot. But um, yeah, I love the moment when she, when she knocks him backward over the sofa <laughs> uh, after they've been blinded by the, yes, the glowing, the, the blazing inferno that is the Griswold house with all the lights. <laughs> that sequence is so funny. All of the, the, yes, the, the glaring light that pours in and, and totally blinds them. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, now, unfortunately, you were, we're running out of time, but we always like to ask our guest experts this one question. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the disastrous events in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, who or what would that be? I would say Clark's assumptions mm. were to blame. I kind of alluded to it earlier in, in that uh, we've all had social occasions that that don't unfold as we had wished. And it, this could happen with close family. It it could easily happen with uh, the neighbors who just moved in across the street and turn out to be uh, awful people. But 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 it had had Clark been a little more, at ease about this huge production that he is staging, that's going to have the biggest tree, that's going to have the most wonderful food, and and all of his family are going to be brought together in this loving circle of uh, of, of of light. That I mean, so it's all it's over over expectation, and isn't that right? <laughs> she agrees. I find you can't that she see. Often... There's a there's a cat <laughs> who has just <laughs> yeah. jumped on no. Tom's lap. Anyway, uh, assumptions and uh, 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 sort of a departure from reality mm. to expect yes, it, too much. It's a good reminder during this holiday season for all of us to. Remember to manage our expectations. 
That's exactly right. It's a great <laughs> managing expectations. Very good uh, way of uh, summing it up. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for speaking to us and for giving us this holiday classic. I can honestly say it was a, a pleasure talking to you, and it was a great pleasure shooting that movie. Glad it's out there. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash the alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the origins of werewolf folklore. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. 